Welcome back, Desperate Housewives super fans. This is We Know What You Did. It makes us sick. We're going to tell. Sound like Dory. The fish? I'm Christy Gomez. I'm Dor. I'm Summer Moran. All right, everybody, welcome back, Christy. It feels like only yesterday we were together in the great city of angels. I know. I feel like I just saw you, but saw you such a long time ago at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think we need some time apart. <laughs> we do. I think. My moment of desperation was my entire last day in LA. So for those who don't know, my dad just so happened to be in LA on business at the same time that I was there visiting you. And so we spent the entire last day in LA together and then we were going to take a red eye home together, which I'd never done. And I think the desperation for me kicked in when I realized we had nothing to do <laughs> in LA and we had the entire day to do nothing. I don't know if it was because we were in the Valley and like a little bit removed automatically from anything that might've been going on, but we were wanting for something to do. And our flight wasn't until nine 30 at night. So we weren't going to get to the airport until seven 45, eight o'clock. And so we settled on going to the Academy Museum, but this was only after we had had a bite to eat for breakfast. We stopped at Starbucks, we walked around, and I was standing there just genuinely so dumbfounded that I could not think of a single activity to do with my dad in the, the second largest major city in the country, you know? Because I gave you so many things to do you didn't actually you I you did not studio tour but that was gonna cost like 50 bucks a person it's something to do yeah I just I didn't want to break the bank especially if he was going to pay for whatever we ended up doing and we did settle on going to the Academy Museum which I was really looking forward to and I think the reason I was so excited was because two years ago when you first moved you sent me a photo from the Academy Museum. I don't remember if you, uh, re and I don't know if you remember it, but it was a picture of the love of my life, Alan Sidney Patrick Rickman. So of course I go there thinking that somehow two years later, I'm going to spy this same photograph. Uh, spoiler, I didn't. I don't remember that photo. I can send it to you. I have it saved. Okay. I've had it saved since the moment <laughs> I received it. So we check in with the guy at the front desk who said, all right, so, you know, floors two, floor three. And then he said, there's a new exhibit on the fourth floor, but it's got some sensitive content. So just be aware of that. And we were like, oh, okay. So in my mind, we're not going to go up to the fourth floor. We do the second floor, which there's a lot to do. Great. But by the time we get up to the third, it's this installation and there's a little warning outside the doors that says that this installation depicts 
graphic and sexual content. Now, the last thing a young woman wants to do with her father is go look at sexual explicit content in a museum. So I just said to my dad that I was too tired to keep going. And we did end up doing the extra perk that you suggested where you get to pretend like you just won an Oscar. It was really cool. So I did enjoy that. But then Christy, once we left the museum, again, we had no idea what to do. We walked down to the tar pits nearby and kind of walk through this I want to say it's a lovely looking park, but I, I said to my dad while we were there, this feels like being at a zoo with no animals. That's scary. Yeah, it was a little unnerving in a sense. And then we just walked around a little bit more and finally made our way back to the valley and got CPK for dinner, my favorite. And then we went back to the airport and I had an extremely uncomfortable flight back to New York, got back in at 5.30, and I have been jet lagged ever since. And that was almost a week ago. You get used to it. I think if you do the red eye enough times, like me, when I go back, I'm not jet lag anymore. Like your body just has to like snap into it. I don't know. I love that flight. Anybody ever wants to catch me, I'm on the Burbank JFK red eye every three months. What was your moment of desperation? Mine was actually similar to yours. And I think it must be a red-eye flight phenomenon because I think when you travel somewhere and you have a late night flight, it's like your body, like you're just kind of anticipating that you have to do something at nighttime. Yes. And I think that's why you can't think of anything to do. Yes, yes. Because I think every time I've ever had a red-eye flight when I don't live somewhere, that's how I feel. I'm like, there's nothing to do here because you're just like counting down the hours till you have to be somewhere. That's exactly it. I think that that must be it. Like if you had the flight the next morning, you would have been running around doing a million things. But I was in Salt Lake City, Utah, as you can see. No I kidding. Put this. I, I bought merch. I love that crazy place. Um, <laughs> I was in Salt Lake City um, to, I don't think any of our listeners, surprise. Uh, <laughs> I went to go see the Jonas Brothers. You did? And, yeah. Did you know I like them? I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I, you you, know. you keep it a, a great secret. Yeah. I keep it under wraps. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> under wraps? Disney Channel original movie? You know what? That's exactly what I just envisioned in my mind. <laughs> when I said that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I went because, um, listen, it was free ticket, free hotel. What was I going to do? Say no. But concert was amazing. Joe Jonas looked at me a few times. So that was really cool. That was nice. Um, we had an open bar. That was nice. Um, and then the next day. So originally I was like, listen, okay, guys, not to offend anybody who lives in middle America, but I have been living exclusively in New York City and then LA for the last nine years. So I have become what some might call a coastal elitist. <laughs> <laughs> so when I booked these flights, I was like, God, what am I going to do in Utah? I want to be in and out of there. I booked the first flight in Saturday morning and then 
all the flights were expensive. So the last flight out Sunday night, I was like, ugh, I don't want to be in Utah. I love Utah. Okay. It was so pretty, so clean, so cool. I don't know. I was like, wow, there really is a life outside of New York City, Los Angeles. It takes a big person to admit that they're wrong. It does. And I will listen when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And <laughs> um, so we were so excited to explore Salt Lake City the day after the show. However, um, I didn't get home until late because if you guys are planning to see the Jonas Brothers for the remainder of their tour, their show is three hours long and it's so fun every single second. Um, and also, again, I had an open bar, which I was not expecting to have in Utah. So um, I was just having a great time. So I wake up the next morning really, really, really tired. And we're all fighting for our lives. We get out and I got, I went to East high school where they filmed high school musicals. So that was very exciting. But after that, we were like, what now? Everything in Utah in Salt Lake city was simply closed on Sunday because it's a very religious Mormon town. And there, there was truly nothing to do. So we went to East High, then walked around. We were like, oh, let's go, to, let's go to a temple. We go to the temple square where all the shops are. Everything's closed. This is all I could buy because only the souvenir shops were open. Oh, my God. So we just wandered around. We had checked out of our hotel at 2 p.m. Our flight was at 11 p.m. So we just sat in the hotel lobby for, for nine time. hours. I think maybe from like 4 to 8 p.m. We sat in the hotel lobby. <laughs> it was called the Little America Hotel. Great place. Aww. Loved it. The lobby was very comfortable and nice. Um, but, you know, after sitting there for six hours, we were a little over it. That's it. I just sat. So my Saturday night and my Sunday night. <laughs> Very different experience. <laughs> I just, before, you know, my New York City era, when I was just a little girl living in Vermont, I don't talk about it much, but, you know, I would have to travel. Like, my dad's policy was, he was like, you can do whatever you want, but you're not missing school. So if a Jonas Brothers show was, like, two hours away on a Thursday, I couldn't go. If it was six hours away on a Saturday, I was there. So it was just very reminiscent of my time chasing the Jonas Brothers and other artists around New England and surrounding areas my entire um, adolescence. I was like, oh, this is nice. Brings me back. Well, I'm glad you had fun. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get into this episode? Yes, let's get into the episode. Slay. So this is episode 15. So this episode was called Impossible. So we start off um, with a with a Brie montage. And it's all about how she is just a very old-fashioned lady. She loves Jesus. She loves her family. Isn't that a song? She, she would do well in Utah. She, she would love Utah. She would be a good Mormon. And then Brie finds a condom in the laundry 
and assumes it's Rex. And she wants to kick him out of the house for his dastardly behavior. Rex is a little defensive and he's like, listen, I'm not the only man who uses the laundry basket. Me, 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 me. It's just crazy how defensive he was. Like, why wouldn't you expect her to think that after what she's been through? Rex doesn't care if Andrew's having sex. Honestly, I kind of agree with him here because he's not like vilifying. He's just like, oh, whatever, it's going to happen. Yes, and I I do understand that, but I think Rex just takes every opportunity to be an uncaring parent because, yes, Bree is upset by this, but she also cares for her children so much more than Rex does. Then Susan goes to tell the girls about how Mike got shot. They are all at least mildly horrified by this, and something that made me laugh out loud is that one of them says, well, Lynette's kids didn't kill Mrs. Hoover. And Lynette's like, eh, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> and you know what? She was so right for that. The little, those little criminals. Little criminals. The little criminals. <laughs> and Susan is just so adamant that Mike is a good guy. He is. He literally is. But they do make a good point. They're like, okay, well, now that we have this evidence, like we can't not do anything about it. Yeah, so they decide to turn it in, and Bree is like, well, if Mike is innocent, then there's no big deal. We can turn him in, and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just throw him in, in the slammer. Romeo and Juliet. Zach shows up and brings Julie a birthday invitation. And she's like, Zach, you know I can't go to your party. And he goes, you know, you're the reason I'm doing this. Like, okay, go off, Jay Gatsby. <laughs> Not Jay Gatsby. I just showed up at your party. Would you have me? Would you love me? Once again, Zach takes every chance he can to be the creepiest person on the show. He gets worse and worse. I cannot wait to talk about him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John's roommate, Justin, goes to proposition Gabby for sex. Okay, question. Do we think Eva Longoria was sick filming this? Because she sounds nasally in every scene and, like, she can't get her volume up. I did not notice that at all. Interesting. That was, like, the first <laughs> thing I noticed about her. I did not notice that even a little bit. But maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're just not observant. I don't know. I guess not. <laughs> He's, like... I, I know what you did for my friend, John. Hope you want to help me out. And she's like, get away from me. You're disgusting. And then she like threatens him. Um, then we get to Tom and he's like, I didn't get a promotion today. Wait, wait, wait. Lynette sort of makes a suggestion about him being more direct, asking for what he wants. And Tom is like, my methods are good. I know what I'm doing. Like I'm good at this. And he keeps trying throughout this scene to get the kids to calm down and go outside. And all of a sudden, Lynette whips around, screams at them to get out. And finally, they listen to her and they're out that door. Thank God. And you know what, Tom? He did nothing. I think this is kind of interesting because in the last episode, we were talking about how the, the boys tend to listen to 
a male authority figure, someone like Mike, and not listen to Lynette, no matter how she tries to parent them, they just don't seem to care. But now we're seeing the exact opposite of that, where they don't listen to their father and they do listen to Lynette. I guess somebody else wrote the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Different writer every episode. Uh, Susan's getting her groceries and Mike <laughs> comes from across the street. Hey, sexy, how you been? <laughs> Yeah, Mike is asking Susan to dinner and he's trying to be all sweet and romantic and then he, Susan hits the ground and Mike gets arrested. That was so... Like, like make, it, make it a little less obvious that you turned him in. She's just like, uh, can you hold this for a second? She should have been like, oh my god, what's going on? Weird. She didn't even try. She did not even try. She like looks terrified of this man. I think Susan doesn't do well under pressure. Absolutely not. No, she doesn't. I think that's well established. I just and that's where she right and now. I, she and I are the same. So true. Um, then we get to the Van de Camp dinner party, dinner party, family dinner. And this was just really something else. First of all, they're talking about Zach's party. And Andrew goes, he's genetically incapable of being cool. Yeah, they are straight up trashing this kid. <laughs> like, you know, I was kind of, I was feeling bad for him a little. I know, they kind of gagged him. <laughs> he did, like, he's just trying to make friends. He's trying to impress his girlfriend. He has a big house. He's, he's nice enough to invite you to his pool party. And they're like, oh, he sucks. He's so weird. Why I is he know. giving out formal invitations? It's like, Dang, just, okay, his mom just died. He didn't have to invite you, is the thing. No, he didn't. But he was being nice, I guess. And the best you can do is <laughs> disrespect his name at your dining room table. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can't respect. You can't uh, expect much out of Andrew. In the middle of of this dinner, Bree starts insinuating about Andrew having sex with Lisa with the belly button ring and <laughs> and um, he's just like Pfft. he starts laughing and she goes do you think this is funny and he goes yeah because condom's not mine and then they all look at Danielle then we see Brie sort of start to lecture Danielle about premarital sex and she's like I waited until I was married your father waited until he was married and Danielle's like, and now you're getting a divorce. <laughs> kind of gagged her. I don't she know. She really gagged her. And I liked it when um, she said, when Brie was like, you're the president of the abstinence club. And she goes, I didn't say I was running for re-election. <laughs> oh, like, great line. Da Danielle's brain really popped off this episode. Yeah, she finally put it to use. Later, we do see, like, all the teenagers of Wisteria Lane come together. And it's just so crazy because John Rowland just seems, like, on a completely different plane of existence than the rest of them. Yep. Like, yep. you can just see that Jesse Metcalf is 25 years old here and everybody else is, like, 18. Then we get to Carlos. He contributes a little bit this episode. And Gabby's like, we need to pay our bills. And he goes, we'll, we're lucky people. We're going to be lucky again. Like, he is so on his manifesting money vibration he does not care he has no money he's like we'll make money again like i don't care i'm not selling the house i just he nothing is phasing him he's like i'm a rich man i'm a rich man 
Carlos really said the Lord will provide. <laughs> he did. I'm gonna I'm gonna start thinking like Carlos a little bit better. I need to get back in into that because he said he's like we're lucky people. I don't care. I don't care that we're broke. Yeah, Carlos has lucky girl syndrome. He does. Good for him. Um, and then, so they're arguing over money. They're arguing over money. And then we see Justin gardening with his shirt off. Yeah, my only note for this scene is that Carlos hired John's idiot friend. Then we see Tom and Lynette at Tom's company softball game, I presume. And Tom is doing his own announcing as his coworker Dugan hits the ball and starts running the bases. And then poor Dugan goes into some kind of cardiac arrest and goes down. Tom literally cast a spell. He was like, yeah. Elekanam and Dugan will go down a Kanaman. <laughs> I will say I was very bored with Tom and Lynette's storyline this episode. Do you think it was the D story? Hmm. Yeah, it was really boring. I did not care. It sort of feels like Gabby has the D story until the twist at the end. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just like. I don't care about Tom's job. <laughs> well, I just think it's insane that Tom cares more about his job than his family. Well, you're just a man. It's just but what you're you just do. A boy. But could you blame him when you have all those terrible kids? Like, of course, you're going to want to go to work. He made them. <laughs> it's your fault, Tom. You kept getting Lynette pregnant. You did this. It's your you bed. did this I'll to yourself. It. it is your bed. <laughs> lie in it. You would have more kids because you went to Lynette at the beginning of this series and said, "Let's just risk it." You want more children. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Then Susan is talking to Julie, and Julie's talking about the party, and she calls. Zach Rampage crazy, which I think is 2004 for school shooter. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And Julie's like, mom, whatever. And then Susan's giving her alibi to the police. And I just said, Julie knows way too much because Susan's like, yeah, Mike, Mike and I, that was the first night we had sex. And Julie's like, yeah, I remember she made pancakes the next morning in the shape of hearts like your 14 year old daughter should not know that so justin goes to proposition gabby again and goes up to her bedroom and is just being very aggressive he's so creepy it's it left me with such a bad taste in my mouth so gross and he's like just remember you have to be nice to me i can tell carlos i know everything that's gone on like jesus that's a grown woman it's straight up blackmail and it's horrible. Justin makes my bones feel slimy. In the next scene, we see Mike approach Susan and now she's all sunshine and rainbows because she's like, I'm your alibi. I think she was feeling so guilty about turning him in. And now she's just delighted to be able to say that she's protecting him and that she's acting as his alibi, be it true or not. Yeah, and then Mike's a little standoffish, which rightfully so because she just put him in jail and she's trying to act like everything's fine. And it's like, 
you could at least be be like, hey, I'm sorry, but we found the bracelet. Like, there's really nothing we could do. I should have told you. But no, she's like, oh, it's your alibi. So everything's fine. Like, that's just not the way to go about that. You made this man mad. She feels like it's even now that she's trying to protect him. I think a theme that I'm noticing throughout this whole show is that nobody takes accountability for their actions. Never. Except Mike. Mike does. Next, we move to Brie going over to see John Rowland, and she kindly requests and very firmly requests that he not take Danielle's virginity. Seeing these two interact is also so crazy because they don't feel like they're on the same plane of existence. And it's right. just so funny. They're not from the same cinematic universe. Not at all. Then in the next scene, we see Tom coming home. He reports that Dugan is doing good, but he's not going to be in work for four months. And so Tom is over the moon about this. And he's explaining to Lynette that he's going to take the promotion in Dugan's place. And he also says that he gets the whole West Coast. And Lynette is horrified to hear this because that means Tom is going to be traveling a whole lot more. And this is just classic Tom showing how much he values his career over his family. All I could focus on this whole scene was he said whole West Coast, which means that this is in California confirmed. Yes. Yes. Like we are somewhere in the San Fernando Valley. Yes, we are. We are. We got him. We got him, boys. <laughs> we got him, boys. We got him. Um, then we get back to Bree and John. And that's when he's like, I didn't like her. I thought her virginity was important. But, and Bree was like, not important enough. You have to, you have to destroy her. You have to break her. You have to wish she was never born. And never <laughs> Make wants her to rule love the day. again. Make her rue the day you ever talk to her. <laughs> In the next scene, we see Mike go to meet with Daddy Mafia Boss at the diner. And my only note for this scene is, why doesn't the diner pay their electric bill? It is dark every single time we see it. Every time. And Daddy Mafia Boss loves this diner. He loves it. Daddy Mafia Boss merch. Yes. Daddy Mafia Boss merch. By the way, guys, better merch is coming than what Summer posted. <laughs> Okay, I thought my merch was cute. That did not, that was not approved by us both. Did it not eat? She went rogue. I was with the Jonas <laughs> Brothers. <laughs> I thought it was cute. We'll get a graphic designer. It wasn't bad. I told you it wasn't ugly. I just think you have many talents. And... <laughs> Graphic design just isn't one of them. <laughs> and that's okay. You can't be good at everything. Right. Yeah. You can't win them all. You can't. We're going to have to get a professional if people are going to be spending money on that. <laughs> can't look like clip art. It's 2023. Everyone has merch. <laughs> clip art is taking me out. <laughs> anyway yeah so daddy mafia boss is basically like no matter what happens like i'm really rich i'll buy you out of jail i don't care period i just don't get why the diner won't turn their lights on 
I guess Daddy Mafia boss doesn't pay their bills and he should because he's there all the time. Gabby goes over to John and Justin's apartment and is like, you better not speak to me ever like that ever again. You cannot blackmail me, blah, blah, blah. She's going in on him and he's like, I need you to sleep with me because I think I'm gay. I love how this is such like a dun, dun, dun moment. Back then it was like, oh my God, he's gay. Oh my God. You're gay. You're gay. You're gay. <laughs> Yo, one of them queers. <laughs> Your girly pop. Then Lynette takes the kids to the office and boring, boring, boring. She just sabotages Tom's job. And she's like, Tom's never going to be home anymore. So then we get back to Justin and Gabby. And Gabby and the gay. Gabby, Gabby and the gay. And he's basically saying he has a buddy he's been messing around with and he's like it was just for fun straight straight quote-unquote men are so crazy when they say this they're like yeah we're just having a good time jerking each other off (laughs) like that's gay and then he's like actually i'm starting to fall for him and then he's like i'm really sorry gabby like i would have never ratted you out so this is like just confirms to me my theory of a self-hating gay because when you're so closeted and then he he's just so disrespectful to women. You're laughing because you know who I'm thinking of. And um... <laughs> I think the most iconic line of this scene is, I may be gay, but I'm not a jerk. <laughs> As if those two things <laughs> are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Indicating that all gays must be jerks. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing could be further than the truth. We love our gays. Nobody loves women more than gay men. Not Justin. (laughs) But (laughs) Justin. Otherwise, yeah. So then Susan has to go in for full questioning. And she, like, goes into the... Wherever wherever they question people the police station christy (laughs) they question people at the police station yeah that place a cab (laughs) clearly you've never been to one (laughs) i haven't i haven't i'm a good girl um (laughs) and terry hatcher's acting in this scene is incredible like for the whole rest of the episode i truly had chills like she that's acting because she's always playing the fun giggly quirky one but she in these serious moments where she has to be like distressed i was i was my mouth was agape so while susan is down at the police station learning of mike's checkered past we see danielle and julie show up at zach's pool party together uh, Zach is wearing a polo shirt and khakis at his own pool party, which I thought was just a little hysterical. And then Andrew tries to get Zach to howl, which this made my skin crawl. I loved seeing all the Wisteria Lane kids together. I thought it was so fun. It was like the multiverse of madness. Yes, this was the first time we get to see them all together like this. Even mm-hmm. if Andrew trying to get Zach to howl was the cringiest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and he <laughs> he's honestly being nice to Zach after calling him, um, what did he say? Allergic to being cool or something? Yeah, genetically, <laughs> genetically. being cool. 
allergic to he's he basically said he's allergic to serving if he was out <laughs> if andrew was out of the closet at this moment he would have said andrew's allergic or he would have said zach is allergic to serving um but yeah he's like trying to to include zach in his own party and of course this is supposed to be just like a fun chill night fun chill party but Zach has to make it something else because he's like, I know where my mom kept her gun. This is not pool party talk, Zach. And then he makes finger gun and goes. Watching that now, it's like actually kind of really scary. Then Julie finds Danielle crying outside. And so she goes to take her home and Zach stalks off in the opposite direction like a creep. Zach stalks off with his hands in his pockets, by the way. He's running full hands in pockets, looking like an actual... Cody Cash, would you like to weigh in? (laughs) Then we see Lynette and Tom in bed. Tom reveals that the boss has changed his mind and is not going to let Tom have the promotion. And I just thought the acting here was phenomenal because you can read on Lynette's face that there's a part of her that feels really guilty. It's a mixture of relief and guilt. And just between the two of them, the acting is outstanding. I said um, Tom looks haunted. Mm-mm, good. Like he's good just word. like, I lost the promotion. And he's trying so hard to reason with himself and with her that this is for the best. Mm-hmm. But again, I was so bored by this storyline that I have nothing else to say. fair enough let's move on (laughs) um then susan and mike are fighting again she's like why didn't you tell me that you were in the drug cartel and manslaughter and again the acting here is chef's kiss amazing terry hatcher deserved so many more emmys than the ones she got and then she goes in to see julie and she goes julie where are you mommy needs a hug go talk to one of your friends susan Yeah, I wrote, Susan is seeking out the solace of her therapist's daughter yet again. Once again. And then she can't find Julie. She sees the parties going on, and she thinks Julie's there, so she runs over there. And what does she find, Summer? She's like, Julie, I want you to stop kissing Zach right now. She sees two people kissing in the pool. The people in the pool immediately dunk themselves under the water, and she's waiting for them to pop up. She's like, you can't hold your breath forever. And when they do come up, we see gay Justin and Andrew Vandekamp. And Andrew goes, I'm not gay. (laughs) (laughs) Nice save. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She's like, oh, you're right. Um, (laughs) And she gets out of there. She trips over everything. And I will say, even though I don't have much Susan in my chart, this was so me. <laughs> like, in times of trouble, I'm a klutz. <laughs> That's why we call you Klutzy Christy. You know, nobody's ever said that, and I'm surprised. Not to your face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we get back to Carlos and Gabby. And Carlos, again, is manifesting money. He's like, he's like, we're going to get this money back. We got a huge house. And Gabby's like, poor as a state of mind. We're just broke. 
and she's like We're, we can be poor and happy or broke and happy and which is such a character development because she said three episodes ago that she's tried poor and happy and she wasn't that happy different writer <laughs> yeah. didn't, didn't read the last script <laughs> No, but I think it's actually showing that she really does love Carlos and she's willing to not have any money to be with him. And she didn't love John the same way. When Gabby was saying that poor is just a state of mind, it made me think of the Paris Hilton image where she's got the shirt that says stop being poor. <laughs> that was my phone background for a while. I remember. I should make it my phone background again. Yeah. Um, no, but she's so true. And this is why I'm a Gabby sun and rising. Hey, question. Is Mama Solis still in a coma? <laughs> she sure is still in a coma. <laughs> I haven't heard about her in a fat minute. Yeah, they're just, she's just in the coma. They don't go to visit her anymore, do they? Well, Carlos can't and Gabby doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like there should be some kind of special exception for Carlos to go see his mother in the hospital. Also, I know that we are 15 episodes in. It's blowing my mind that the hit and run happened as early as it did. I know. Like, we're not even <laughs> really halfway. We're, like, almost more than halfway through the season now. And I, I'm shocked. I really thought it was going to be, like, the second to last episode. Yeah, I thought so, too. I really I thought it was after Andrew was out of the closet i guess not andrew kind of reminds me of that gay senator who was like lying all the time that you could mean literally anybody true like george santa colopolis oh uh stephanopolis no you know who i'm talking about that no. gay congressman who lied about everything you haven't heard about him the last scene is Daddy Mafia Boss back at his favorite spot, good old diner, and he's sitting across one of the detectives from the interrogation scene. Can you explain what happened? Because I don't, I, I didn't process the scene at all. Okay, to be honest, I think they did a poor job <laughs> of writing this scene because I was also yeah. confused. Because the detective is just talking about getting a dog for his wife. And Daddy Mafia Boss is like, oh, well, you did something good for your wife. That's great. But I think the point of the scene was to show that Daddy Mafia Boss is in cahoots with that detective who is against Mike, for, for lack of a better phrase. Okay, got it. Because I think also, there, since um, the diner doesn't pay their electric, um, <laughs> there was so much glare coming into my room. Just the final uh, monologue the voiceover with mary alice everybody's trying to sleep susan wants to be with mike don't we all and that's the end of the episode thanks so much for sticking around desperate housewife superfans slash little criminals rest in peace matthew perry i'm sad i'm glad that you and i were together for that summer and i had literally just gotten off recording when we found out or we would have said something in the last episode but I'm sad. Friends is my other personality. As we know, Desperate Housewives super fans, I once watched it six months straight. Aren't you in the middle of a rewatch right now? Yeah, I'm on episode like 12. Oh. Just wanted to say that. 
All right, Desperate Housewives super fans, we will catch you next week. And until next week, I'm Christy Gomez. I'm Summer Moran. And this is We Know What You Did. It makes us sick. We're going to Goodbye. Goodbye.